0: hi this is Ben Lowell and welcome to back to the Bible Canada with dr John Newfeld we continue our series in second Peter today called danger from within so turning your Bibles to second Peter chapter 1 verses 12 to 21 as dr Newfeld brings us a message titled never forget
1: there are days when we must remember You know, nations hold Memorial Days, and since I live in Canada, I know we have national holidays set aside for remembering. Remembrance Day is to remember those who have fallen in our wars. Canada Day, which used to be called Dominion Day, is to remember the founding of our dominion and the events that led to the establishment of the nation. We also celebrate Victoria Day because Queen Victoria of Great Britain was the ruling monarch when Canada was founded as a nation. I know, to a large degree, the significance of these events are meant to inform us and that we must not forget. See, the average Canadian, however, views those events as simply a holiday and a chance to get an additional day off. In Canada, Victoria Day is often seen as, you know, the official start of cottage season. The weather has turned nice now, good times can start again. And that's a shame. I think that a nation that forgets her past, forgets who she is and loses her reason to exist. Now, I'm not here to talk about national holidays, but rather to speak about the significance of remembering. I don't know if you know it, but the Christian faith is a remembering faith. In 2 Timothy 2, verse 8, Paul writes, Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel. Remember. We're called to remember, remember Adam and Noah and Abraham and Sarah and Moses and Joshua and Ruth and Naomi and King David and the righteous kings that followed him, as well as the wicked ones whose examples we've got to resist. We must also remember Peter and John and Paul and Matthew. And most of all, we must remember Jesus. For if we fail to remember, we're going to lose track of who we are and false teachers are going to have their way with us and they'll lead to our destruction. It's not just the great men and women of faith that we've got to remember, it's also the teaching of Scripture. And we've been studying Second Peter and we've noticed that while the central point of the book seems to be warning of the dangers from within, that is, the great dangers of being seduced by false teachers and false teachings, Peter begins the book by reminding readers that the best defense is to remember that we're called to a life of godliness and a life of holiness. And so in the last section, he has spoken about the kind of virtues that believers must strive towards. Supplement your faith, he says, with virtue and knowledge and self-control and steadfastness or perseverance with godliness and brotherly affection and love. And then he begins the next section of this letter, telling his readers they must never forget, they must remember. It's so important for Peter because he knows that he's not going to live long after he's completed this letter. When I'm no longer here, he said, you've got to remember. So I'm at 2 Peter 1, 12 to 15. Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. I think it right, as long as I am in this body to stir you up by way of reminder, since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me. And I will make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able at any time, to recall these things. Did you notice the repetition of the words? First, I intend to remind you. Next, while I'm in this body, to stir you up by way of reminder. And then in verse 15, at any time, recall these things. See, every once in a while, I'm going to hear some older Christian complain that all they ever hear in church is the things that they've heard before. Well, maybe that's true. Maybe it's true, but maybe they need to hear it again. It's not just that we need to learn the truths. We need to remind ourselves of them. So let's look again at the paragraph. Peter says that the putting off of his body is going to be soon. He's, of course, referring to his death. He also says that the Lord Jesus has made this clear to him. His time is at hand. There are two possibilities here, and I think both of them are correct. The first is that Peter is reflecting on what Jesus told him soon after his resurrection. John recorded that. The risen Jesus walked with Peter on the shores of the Sea of Galilee. Remember, Peter has denied Jesus at the trial, and now Jesus is taking the repentant Peter, and he's reinstating him. And as Jesus and Peter are talking, John's not far behind. He's listening to every word that's being said. And here's part of what John records, and it's found in John 21, 18 and 19. Truly, truly, I'd say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted, but when you're old, you'll stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Now we know from early church history that Peter was arrested, he was condemned to death, he was stretched out on a cross. But because he felt he was unworthy to die like Jesus, he asked to be crucified upside down. And so at the writing of 2 Peter, Peter may have been aware that the words of Jesus were soon going to be fulfilled. But I think it's also likely that Jesus himself, perhaps right before Peter has written 2 Peter, that Jesus gives Peter a private revelation. Time of his death is now at hand. And recognizing that, Peter, knowing that his time is short, makes every effort to use the remaining time as wisely as he can. And notice that Peter does not say, I'm about to die. He says, the putting off of my body will be soon. You know, Peter sounds remarkably like Paul. Paul talks about his body as an earthly tent. You know, maybe he's thinking about the tabernacle that's soon going to be put off. Of course, like Paul, Peter doesn't believe that's a permanent state of affairs. He believes that God will provide for him a resurrection of his body. But it's not that which draws our attention. Rather, it's the idea of transformation. That is, death is not death for a believer. It is not that I'm going to die, it's God's preparing my transformation. And so Peter knows that before that happened, he's got a job description. It's not get out of Rome and run for your life. It's rather submit to the will of Jesus. While Peter's alive, he's going to remind believers of Christian virtues. After he's dead, he's going to make sure that something's written down so that they won't forget. And by the way, that's what Scripture is. It's the record of the writings of those men who were chosen by God to record the words of God so that God's people will never fall prey to false teachers. They'll always remember the truth. And with that, Peter now turns from the events of his own life to a macro picture. So let's read one of the best descriptions that I know of the certainty of the faith that we have received. 2 Peter 1, 16 to 21. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths, to which you do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place, until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So let's stop here and remind ourselves of the theme of Second Peter. False teachers are a threat to the church. They seek to undermine what Jude called the faith once for all delivered to the saints. You know, in their view, the role of faith is not to remind God's people of the once for all truths, but false teachers see the faith as a progressive thing. I'm going to give you a quote from Winston Churchill. that might surprise you. He said, one of these days, perhaps the cold bright light of science and reason will shine through the cathedral windows and we will go out into the fields to seek God for ourselves. He spoke of dispensing the toys of religion. He doesn't want any religion. He wants science to be our religion. And what Churchill said is also what the liberal theologians of the 20th century said. No one can believe those old things they said, those things that talked about miracles and God speaking from the heavens. And so the 20th century liberals thought that we need to reinvent the Christian faith, making it more acceptable in an era of enlightenment. And of course, in the modern contemporary era, you know, that project goes on. Whether, you know, we're discussing the biblical teaching about the sacredness of marriage or what constitutes sexual ethics or whether in a multicultural and multi-religious environment we can still grasp the idea that no one can come to the Father outside of the Son. I mean, more and more, we're being told by some that the old truths are simply the outdated truths. And so the compulsion that Peter had was to remind his readers of the truths that must not be forgotten. See, the Christian faith is not about trying to keep up to date with the current state of affairs. If we think about it, Peter's gonna say next, this is the challenge. We need to get back to those truths that have once and for all been given. We need to remember.
0: Here at Back to the Bible Canada, we're committed to the mission of providing excellence in Bible teaching you can trust in every medium possible. Both Bible teaching and engagement programs are available online through video, print, radio, podcast, mobile app, and CD. It's our prayer that anyone who tunes in will discover encouragement for their spiritual journey and insight for living through the study of the Bible. All of these resources are made possible through the faithful support of our listeners. It's your generous donations that allow the mission to be accomplished. So thank you for all you do. And remember, that if you want to receive our monthly gift this month, Dr. John's new booklet, 10 Questions About Money Matters, all you need to do is visit backtothebible.ca or call us at 1-800-663-2425. And thanks again for your generous support. Peter begins by insisting
1: that we, and by we, he means the New Testament apostles of Jesus, the original group that were trained by Jesus. We, he says, did not start a new religion by appealing to cleverly invented stories or a series of myths. When we get the next chapter of 2 Peter. Peter's going to say that false teachers are exploiting the church with false words. Peter says, neither I nor the apostles ever did that. And then Peter acknowledges, however, that we did make known to you the power and coming of our lord jesus so peter's referring to that that jesus is the fulfillment of the old testament that he was born of a virgin that he taught the kingdom of god that he actually healed the sick and he raised the dead and he actually drove out demons and he commanded all of nature that's quite a story but says peter we didn't get in circles and create that account rather what we did was reproduce a historic record of what we actually saw. And that's the thing about the New Testament. It was put together not by second and third generation people, separating out myths and legends from the facts, and then creating a religion that would be acceptable. Instead, says Peter, what we wrote about is what we actually saw. We're eyewitnesses. And not just eyewitnesses, but eyewitnesses to his majesty. He means from the time of the baptism which led to his public ministry, all the way through to the time when we saw him ascend into heaven. We not only saw it, we saw majesty. We witnessed, he says, the splendor of the sovereign God among us. And that's the reason we can't stop talking about this and reminding you of it. Now, you might expect at this point in time that Peter would use an example, and that example would be the resurrection. Instead, he speaks about the transfiguration. Now, if you don't know what that is, let me remind you from Mark 9, 2 to 4. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. And his clothes became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to them Elijah and Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. Peter says, yeah, I was there. I witnessed that. And he doesn't just say that he witnessed it. Notice again in verse 17, I witnessed him receiving honor and glory from the father. I was there when the father said, this is my son in whom I am pleased. I saw honor and glory. See, the word glory, that's a quality that belongs only to God. It can also be translated as splendor. And the word honor speaks to the amount to which something is valued. And Peter says, I saw Jesus in the splendor and honor that are given by God. And Peter says more. He also says, verse 18, he says, he saw this on the holy mountain. So here, clearly, Peter is referring to what he saw, and he's contrasting that to what Moses saw on the holy mountain of Mount Sinai. I'm referring here to Exodus 33, verse 18, where Moses is speaking to God, and Moses says, show me your glory. Let me look at your being, be overwhelmed by your splendor. Please let me see you, says Moses. And then God says, well, you can't. You won't survive it. It would make standing before a, a nuclear blast a small thing. It would immediately tear your soul from your body. you die. And then God says, I'll let you see the tail end of my glory as I've passed by. That's what happened. Moses caught the tail end of the glory of God, and he comes down from the mountain. His face is shining. Well, says Peter. I saw more than that on the holy mountain. I saw something that would have stunned Moses. I saw Jesus transformed into his majestic glory, and I survived, and I heard the Father's assessment of the Son. This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. See, Peter says that's not mythology. This is an eyewitness testimony. And by the way, let me stop here. Do you know that all the apostles, like Peter, were martyred for their faith, and not one broke ranks to save his life, saying, look, I made all that stuff up. Their testimony remained consistent for a lifetime. They insisted, to the point of a martyr's death, that they would not recant their story. This was true, they said. Again, the last words of verse 18. We were with him on the holy mountain. That is, three of us were there, says Peter. And then, notice what he says next. Verse 19, and we have something more sure. You know, another way of putting that is we have something that's even more convincing. You might be taken aback by that. Is Peter saying that the Old Testament is more convincing than the eyewitness testimony of the apostles? Because after all, the message of the apostles was eventually written down. That became our New Testament. Is he saying, yeah, you know, our words about Jesus are true, but the Old Testament, well, that's more convincing than our eyewitness accounts. Because if that's what Peter were saying, that would be very confusing. I mean, after all, you know, when we read the book of Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews says, In the past, God spoke to us in many ways through the prophets, but in these last days, that is, at the climax of things, he has spoken to us by his Son. So what the apostles wrote is what the Son said. So is Peter saying, well, the prophetic word of the Old Testament is superior? Well, that can't be the case. See, I think what Peter is saying here is what is more sure is that the already sure word of the Old Testament is now more sure, more certain, now that Jesus has come and demonstrated his majesty. Suddenly, the Old Testament has been proved to be true without any shadow of a doubt. So the sure Old Testament is made more sure by Jesus. You see, when we consider the accounts of Jesus, please notice what we have. We don't have an account that was written hundreds of years later when, you know, tradition and superstition colored the story. Instead, the story of Jesus is eyewitness testimony. And as you know, if you go to a court of law, eyewitness testimony is preferred over conjecture. But, says Peter... Now that Jesus comes, we have the opportunity of looking back at the First Testament prophetic word. And amazingly, Jesus fulfills everything that the Old Testament anticipated. All the way back from the beginning of the writing of the Old Testament to the present, Jesus has made it certain. Kelvin put it this way, the authority of the word of God is the same as it was in the beginning. And then it was given further confirmation than before by the advent of Christ. Yeah. And then Peter adds, you do well to pay attention to that. Pay attention to what? Well, to the entire prophetic scripture. I know that when Peter was writing, the New Testament was not yet complete. But as we're going to see in chapter 3, Peter is more than aware that the New Testament was during his time being completed. Scripture was being written. You do well to pay attention to all of Scripture. And then he tells us why. It's a light shining in a dark place. This world is a dark place. And even the church itself is in danger of being overwhelmed by the darkness. The false teachers, if they're listened to, will bring darkness again. You do well, he says, to pay attention to the light so that you don't fall into the darkness. You need to keep doing this until the day dawns, that is, until Christ returns. The interpretation of that, the only way you can stay on point and focus on the truth and remember the truth is to make scripture your concern, constantly remembering what it says and making application to your life. Keep doing this and remembering this until Christ returns. And then Peter draws our attention to one of the classic statements on the nature of scripture. Verse 20. Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. And Peter's point here is that the prophets who wrote the Scripture not only witnessed what they spoke about, but they also interpreted the experience. See, it's one thing to witness the Red Sea crossing. It's quite another thing to know what it means. It's one thing to see Jesus raised from the dead. It's an amazing thing to understand what this signifies. Now to verse 21. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Moses, Isaiah, Jeremiah, for that matter, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Peter, and Paul, they didn't wake up in the morning and try to figure out what they would write. They wrote as the Holy Spirit lifted them up and carried them along. Yeah, of course, says Peter, men spoke. After all, it's they that produce the writing. Each individual writing bears the marks of the personality of the writer. But the ultimate authorship is God, the Holy Spirit, superintending the writing so that the final product is exactly what God wanted to say. And so says Peter, before I die, I want to remind you of what you were taught, not a myth, the truth. And after I'm gone, it's going to be your task to continue to remember. And if we don't remember, If we don't put our noses into scripture and occupy ourselves with these truths, we're going to be fair game for every false teaching and darkness will close in on us. As I reread Peter's words, I'm reminded that as a Bible teacher, that's my task. Keep getting people to see the truths they have been taught. They will live in light.
0: Thanks so much, John. You know, John, there's those that believe that the Christian faith needs to continue to evolve. Now, I'm not sure exactly what that means, but should I be concerned?
1: Well, if by evolving we mean that we become more faithful and more obedient to Christ, then <laughs> let's do so. But I, I suspect that there are a great many who believe that the Christian faith, um, as it was given to us in the Word, is insufficient. And so, therefore, they want to have uh, you know a trajectory that moves into new areas. So I'll say this: a faith has once for all been given to the saints. That faith is the gospel that we have received in the Scriptures. We'll spend the rest of our lives learning to be faithful to that. Let's be content with that.
0: Thanks so much, John. And remember to join us again tomorrow as we continue our series "Danger from Within." Right here on Back to the Bible Canada, and Bible teaching you can trust. <laughs> Want to be kept up to date on all the developments and behind the scenes of Back to the Bible Canada? Then be sure to sign up for our ministry update email. These monthly emails provide insights into what's new and what's forthcoming here at Back to the Bible Canada. Updates about the ministry's international efforts, new opportunities to share the good news spread around the globe. And you'll receive first word of exciting upcoming Bible resources updates on upcoming events, things to celebrate, and exclusive five-and-five audio conversations between myself and a monthly guest, offering inside looks at the ministry and plans moving forward. To sign up to receive the monthly ministry update email, visit us at backtothebible.ca or just give us a call at 1-800-663-2425.